different walk and talk a different talk, wouldn't we? Praise the Lord. Isn't it awesome to be back in the house of God tonight, in the presence of the Lord? Oh, I love going to church. I love being where the saints of God are. I love being where He is, because where He is, good things are going to happen. Turn with me tonight to the book of Zechariah, if you would. Heard Brother Joel did an awesome job here Sunday. Certainly appreciate that, Brother Joel. God bless you, brother. <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to talk about him tonight. How great he is. What a great thing he has in his mind. What he wants to accomplish. Which we believe by his grace that we're part of. Then take silver and gold and make crowns and set upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. And he shall bear the glory. Now, unlike Moses, unlike Solomon, unlike Zerubbabel, unlike these people restoring this temple, unlike Herod, he will be the only one that can build the temple of the Lord and have the temple of the Lord's glory living inside of him. Notice what he will do. He'll bring forth twofold of what no other man was ever allowed to do in the Old Testament. He shall bear the glory and he shall sit and rule upon his throne. So he's going to be a king. But also, he shall be a priest upon his throne. So kingship and priesthood will be merged together in this man whose name is the branch. And the council, listen to this, of peace shall be between them both. So in other words, between kingship and priesthood will be a council of peace. Merging together, not in two men, which is typical for the Old Testament once they come to the time of kings, but not so here. Because this man will bear both. And that he's going to build a new order. It will be called the order of Melchizedek. 
The worshipers will worship him not in ritual and in routine, but they will worship him in spirit and in truth. Is that the kind of worshipers we want to be tonight? Let's bow our heads together. I wonder how many would like to be remembered before the Lord. God bless you. I'd like for you to remember Erica tomorrow, if you would. She's gone to Nashville today, and uh, her and Lance, and she had an MRI this evening. Be having her third um, treatment tomorrow. Uh, begin about 7.30 in the morning, their time, about 8.30 our time. If you'd be remembering her, that the, all will go well. The Spirit of God will just take that stuff and go after them them devils inside that body and kill them. Amen. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be in your house tonight, Lord. It's so good to see your children again. We're so blessed, Father, to be able to gather together. How I thank you for Wednesday night service. I know there's people all over the world that would love to be able to come to church on Wednesday night, but because of their particular setting. Some of the ones in Africa don't have their own buildings. Some of them in India don't have their own building. Some in the States don't even have their own building, so they can't have a, a midweek service. But oh, how we love midweek service, Father. It's just such a boost to us and helps us. And we want you to know that we are grateful to finally be in our new place. We thank you for that. But Lord God, most of all, we want to thank you that you've gathered here with us. What good would a fanciest place, nicest place that was ever built on the earth be if you wasn't there. But we recognize your presence is here among us. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you'd be mindful of all the hands that was uplifted. It signified a need, a request, a desire. We believe that you're mindful of each one of them tonight, Lord. Pray, Father, that you'd just be with Erica tomorrow. You see, Lord, she had a test yesterday and couldn't eat because of the test and couldn't eat today because of another test, so it's left her really, really weak and just really shaky in her body, Lord. And we talked to her on the way, actually, when we pulled into the parking lot here at church and said she just got done with the MRI, but she was real weak. We as the saints of God agree together right now in the name of Jesus. May the Spirit of God go to her, Lord, and touch her body. You see, she has this thing tomorrow, Lord, and we're just believing you, Father. We're already confessing by your stripes, she's already healed. Because we looked everywhere and we didn't find nobody that was greater than Jesus. Neuroendocrine tumor has to bow at the feet of Jesus. Cancer, heartache, headaches, whatever they are, they've got to bow at the name of Jesus. Take your word tonight, Father, and speak to us, would you, Lord? In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Love you so much tonight. Oh, my heart is just so, so moved for the presence of God, seeing what he wants to accomplish in our day. Let's get just a little view of it. The first man and first woman in the Garden of Eden was in perfect harmony with God. So much that God could come down at any time. He desired and talk lip to ear was Adam and Eve. That is perfect oneness. God 
and his creation. But speaking lip to ear, God speaking lip to ear with Adam and Eve, and they were in so perfect in harmony with God till they were one with God. God and his family was one. Any man and his family, a correct, good, noble, obedient family is one with one another. Any family. And if there's any something, notice this now, if there's something in the family that moves them apart, then it's not right. Now listen, if there's something that comes in their family that moves them apart, it's not right. Now watch how he ties the first and original family in the Garden of Eden and how that their original position and place was that God could come down anytime he desired and talk to both Adam and Eve, not just the man, but both Adam and Eve. Everything was perfect. There was no sickness, no sorrow, no death, no suffering. Notice he goes on to say, if there's something in the family that moves them apart, then it's not right. The family's broken somewhere. They should all be one, father with mother, mother with father, children with parent, parent with children, all in agreement And when you see that, now listen to what you'll see. When you see that, you'll see one lovely picture. Now this picture is the first one in the episode of God's great museum. It was a great divine gallery that after Father created the universe and expanded his creation to the earth. Now, Satan, of course, had fallen before the earth's foundation was ever laid. And actually, I preached it down at Brother Jason's this weekend that whenever the angels fell, then when God started bringing this earth into existence, Satan walked up and down this earth when the earth was belching out volcanic rocks and ash. And our bodies were being spewed out of the heart of the earth, calcium, potash, petroleum, cosmic lights, copper, magnesium, all these things that God needed for the material to make our bodies. Before our bodies were ever formed, Satan was walking up and down the earth and left his footprints in volcanic ash because footprints means possession. So Satan claimed this earth. He wanted it as his own. But again, we go back to what we were singing. I looked all over and I looked for somebody that could create a blade of grass, but I found nobody. I went down to hell and I asked old Satan, can you make me just one fly? What about one apple? What about one peach? What about one anything? Can you make anything? I searched all over, but I couldn't find nobody. You know why? Because there ain't but one creator, and that's Almighty God. Satan couldn't make an earth the way our father could. He could not make subjects, so he had to pervert what God had created. That's why he's after you and I tonight. And Satan purposed in his being to have this place. 
He didn't have a wife. He didn't have a family. But what he did have by this stage was angelic beings who had crossed the line of mercy. And remember, when angels fall, there is no redemption. The Lord Jesus never died for angels, but for human beings. Oh, I'm so glad tonight. So something come between this first family. I hope you understand this. Really, it's quite simple. When Satan found what would work against the first human being that he tested, he's never changed it that much. He just keeps updating his tactics, but using some of the same things. And that is to pull people out of their God-given position. If he can pull one person in a family out of their position, it can throw the entire family out of the will of God. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. But before he ever got to Eve, he had to pull a part of God's creation other than man out of his position. And that was, of course, we know, the serpent. By pulling him out, then he was able to have a tool or an instrument that was a go-between, the missing link that science still looks for. And we know that that was the tool that Satan used. Then he come to the woman, pulled her out of her place. He could not make Adam leave his place, so he come to the woman and out of Adam's love for her. Then Adam was willing to step out of his place for her. So what do you see? The whole story is beings getting out of their place. And Satan loves to do that still to this very day. Now I want you to notice the prophet said, when you see that, father, mother, children, father loves mother, mother loves father, children love parents, parents love children, and then they had this beautiful, lovely picture. And God placed it there, and what a beautiful piece of art that it was. But you know, I know art differs according to the very, uh, you know, the variety of people's taste. And I've been to a lot of the beautiful museums around the world. And I've walked into some of those museums and some of them you stand there and you look at that art and you think, what is that? Any of y'all ever been there? Some of the art that you see springing up around Johnson City. You know, some of these things that are made by artists and I think, I think I made something like that when I was a five-year-old boy. I should have kept it. I don't tell what had been worse now. So some of the stuff they call art today, I'm sure, I'm sure that it's only me, and I just don't have an eye for it probably. But I like looking at a human when you can look at them and you know they're a human being instead of trying to figure out if they're a dog or a cat or a moron. You really don't know by the way that some people draw it. And to me, when I look at that type of art, so-called, I, I like the masters myself. I like the rendition of the master's art and whenever they would make it during the Renaissance time and thereafter, and they would make those drawings of those animals and beings, human beings and so on, and they're so real that you almost just want to reach out and touch them. There's something about them that is so compelling that pulls on you. And then others, you just stand there and look at it and you just think, wow, I just, I have to think about this. Is that a dog or a cat or is that a wall? Is that a two before? Is that a pile of garbage? I mean, you know, it just leaves you away mesmerized. And people just walk away and say, man, 
Man, wasn't that something? I'm saying, it sure was, brother. I don't know what it was. And if I ever figured out, I might let you know. But you just think, my goodness. And that's the way the church, natural, has become. So you look at it and you see that it's definitely got the touch of a master, but it looks like the master of deception to me. And it looks like some of this modern art where it doesn't even look like the original picture that God made. How many believes God's the original artist? Well, according to what the prophet said then, that was God's purpose. And his purpose, listen to these words together, just absolutely awesome. His purpose as Father Supreme. Father Supreme was to be one with his earthly family, Adam and Eve. And the only way that they could be one with the family or with God was because God's nature was in them. Now, God, now notice, it was not that they just obeyed the word. Do this, yes, Father, do that, yes, Father, do that, yes, Father. But actually, God's nature was in them. Now, I can't explain to you exactly how that was. But I do know whatever it was that Adam and Eve had, whatever experience they had with God in the Garden of Eden, they were able to lose it. And they were able to fall away from it. So myself, Brother Dell, I desire something more than what Adam had so that I'll never fall away from it. You understand what I'm saying? Now, had God gave Adam and Eve the seal of the baptism of the Holy Ghost like we have today, there would be no way they would have ever fallen from what they had. But they had something that was temporal, something, a, a special allotment of God according to the first dispensation of man under the stage of innocence. Let me say it that way. And God gave it to them knowing that they could and would uh, fall from it, but yet it was something that must have been awesome at the time, but something that they could regress from. And Adam, of course, choosing to do that, and when he did, he throwed us where we are today. Now notice then Father's purpose was, was to be not only Father, but Father Supreme. I wanted not only to be a father, but father supreme. In other words, there'd never be another father that would ever be above him. Now, he didn't just want to be plain old father, but he wanted to be father supreme. So he wanted to be everything that his children would ever have need of. And then he put this allocation of his own nature inside of them. So when they come up to God to worship, they somehow knew what God wanted. I really think this is what's missing today in so many worshipers because a lot of the worshipers in the age we're living, they don't know what God wants. So, you know, they try to worship and wave their hands a certain way or they hold their hands a certain way. It's sad, but many of the message folks are the same way. They really don't understand what worship really is. They don't understand what to give God what he wants. One of the meanings of the word worship is a supreme and divine adoration for something. So it's not even moving your hands. All the meanings of worship have nothing to do with the movement of the body. But it projects from the heart. And when it comes from the heart, it will put the body in motion. Now, people can have the body in motion and still not have the heart in tune. Then you're really still in a mess. But I want my heart to be in tune and then I want to set my body in motion with it, don't you? 
but I want to make sure that it's in the right way. So we tonight as the worshipers of God should have a desire, do we? To want to know what Father wants? Well, do we want to just give him what we think he wants? Do we want to just say, well, you know, just give him whatever you think he wants? I don't want to do that myself. I want, if I want to worship him, I want to give him what he wants from me. Now, notice he says this way, isn't it a beautiful picture, God and his family, Father over all supreme, no death, no sorrow, no heartaches, no nothing but joy unspeakable, never to be sick, never to have a heartache, just one with God. What a picture, what a picture. Because the very nature of God was in these people. And therefore, what they did, they followed just in line with God, and God with them made them one. What a union, a oneness that would it be to see God in his church. Now, watch, he brings it beyond Adam and Eve and brings it to us. This is preached in 1962. What a union, a oneness that would be to see God in his church so every member is just perfectly in harmony with each other and God. Now, this is what Father Supreme wants. Father Supreme does not want each of us to pick out a certain man. And then all of us will basically just go along with every man, every word that man says, and we will be yes, yes people for that man. Yes, Brother Donnie. Yes, Brother Donnie. Yes, Brother Donnie. Yes, Brother Tim. Yes, whoever it is that you're going to follow. And that's what you think oneness is? No, you become a robot. But oneness is the people of God getting God's divine nature by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We will still have our own personality. And I don't want to break any ideological balloons that you have. But we will never on the earth get to a place to where everybody sees exactly the same thing about everything else. Never. Because we are human beings, we're always going to have a different opinion about this, a different view about that. There will be some folks in the message and they will sit there and worship God. They'll never run around the church. There'll be others that'll run. There'll be others that'll jump and shout. Well, praise the Lord. And yet if both of them are worshiping with all of their heart, whether or not you understand it and believe it, God accepts both of them in exactly the same way because they're responding according to what he led them to do. Now, it may not please you, and it may not please me so much, but after all, we're not here to please one another, are we? We're here to please God, right? So we will never get to a spot to where even all the preachers will all sit down and they'll discuss the Godhead, and they'll discuss predestination, election, foreknowledge, and they'll sit down and every one of them will teetotally degree. Never. That'll never happen as long as we're in this mortal realm. But there is a oneness that every member of the bride must have and will have before the rapture takes place. That oneness in Christ will help us and give us tolerance for those who see things a little bit different than we do. But you know what we tend to get into? A denominational forum to where if people don't see it the way we do, then they're off the word. Well, first of all, God didn't make you the judge or me the judge. The word is the judge. And remember, many times those that have quotes to back up their idea, it come from the same message and you get the quotes that back up your idea. Well, which prophet was it that was true? Well, the same man saying the same statements and just different settings. Now, watch. 
It is the only grounds of fellowship that God has ever laid down for himself and his church is the oneness of himself in the people. Now remember, Zechariah prophesied about a man that would come and would build the temple of the Lord. And as I said before, the Lord Jesus would not even have been able to enter into the holiest of holies because he was not a Levite. He was natural genetically, his natural body. He was of the tribe of Judah, not of Levi. So he could have never offered a sacrifice in the temple, yet he offered his body in the presence of God. They would have never let him go inside of there and read the Torah. He would never have been able to offer a sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? Man would have never let the Lord Jesus offer a sacrifice, but Almighty God created that body and said, offer it to me and I will accept it and forgive every person that accepted it from now to the end of time. But yet, as far as they looked at it, he would have never been allowed to even step in behind the holiest of holies because he could not go in behind the veil and his body was the veil. So you see, when man gets it all so cut and dried and man's got it, boy, this is exactly the way it is and there's no room for growing and there's no more room, you know, instead of putting a, a, a comma, we put a period at the end of it, bless God, this is what I believe and I ain't moving. Uh-oh, you're already cut and dried, ain't you? You better put a comma at the end of that. This is what I believe today, but I'm subject to change tomorrow if I find another quote or another scripture. Well, you say, how can you be that? Because I'm a growing man in the body of God. That's why. Now, notice God's idea of oneness is himself and the people. That's the only grounds of fellowship. The only way that you can have those grounds is by a union to be united with him forever. And you see, Adam did not have this in the union of the soul to be able to be united forever. Whatever it was that he had could come in him and go back out of him and not seal him. But this oneness built by the man whose name is the branch will seal the people of God and they will never be able to be broken out of this. Listen to this in paragraph 23. Joined in heavenly wedlock to the eternal God, part of him, part of of God, joined in heavenly wedlock to the eternal God, part of him, part of God. Now, when we come into the New Testament, we find that Paul was the great master builder. Now, Peter never said that about himself, nor did John, nor did any of the other authors of the New Testament, but Paul felt the liberty to be able to identify himself as a master builder. That's quite a statement for a man to make. But Paul knew that God had given him the message of that day. And he was not only a preacher, he was not only an apostle, but he was a prophet messenger. He was not a prophet like Agabus, which the Spirit of God could come on him. He could take Paul's girdle, go out there and wrap it around his hands and say, thus saith the Lord, the man whose this is, he's going to Jerusalem to be bound. Now, Agabus was that type of a prophet. Paul was more than that. Paul was a prophet messenger. Now there is a difference. We didn't just need a prophet in this day, we needed also a prophet messenger. I don't think sometimes even the message people understand the difference. A prophet is a man that God can be able to speak to him, showing future events, showing things even in people's lives, but a prophet messenger is one who brings a turn in the road. He brings a dispensational change. He brings an enlightenment above his brothers. 
Now, Peter had some great things to say. All the rest of the brothers in the New Testament had great things to say, but none of them. Can you imagine if we would strip out what is called the Pauline epistles out of the New Testament? If we would take out uh, First and Second Corinthians and Philippians and Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus and Philemon and all the Pauline epistles, can you imagine what we would have left? We would have the four gospels, we would have Jude, we would have James, and we would have first and second, third John, and the book of Revelation. All the rest of the New Testament we would be totally deprived of. We wouldn't know what to think about election because Paul wrote more about it than all the rest of them put together. We wouldn't know how the church is to operate. We wouldn't know nothing about dress because John never preached nothing about dress. John never said nothing about women's hair. Well, come on, somebody. James never said nothing about women's hair. Paul was the one that was given the great truth to tie the people of God into a oneness. I know a lot of folks don't like theology. They don't like doctrine. All they want is just a little experience with Jesus to where he saves them from hell and lets them live any way they want to. Don't talk to me about all that stuff. I don't need it. Well, apparently you do because the Bible is full of it. Praise the Lord. But you see, it comes under a prophet messenger. Now, no doubt there were people in that day that said, man, Paul confuses me. He writes all that stuff. We don't need to understand all that. We're saved. What more do we need? We need to know how to love one another. Husbands need to know how to love their wives. Wives need to know how to love their husbands. And the saints said, children need to know how to obey their parents. Come on, saints. And the church needs to know how to behave itself in the house of God. Is that right? But are those things always pleasant? They're not. But they are building blocks in making up this body that the great master builder wanted to achieve. So all the other ministers then would fit underneath what Paul had preached. Now what he preached and what James wrote and what Peter wrote and what John wrote, it all dovetails together to make the same gospel. But God approached it through diversities of gifts. Now this is the thing we realize even in our local assembly that God has a diversity of gifts in our body. And many times people can become you know, distraught because of trying to find what God wants them to do. Uh, sometimes people think, well, I don't know what, what the Lord wants for me. I don't know, does he want me to sing? Does he want me to preach? Uh, does he want me to testify? What does he want? Well, if he's called you, then he will equip you. And God will never set you to do something that he himself has not given you the equipment to be able to do it. So if God has called a man to preach, then that man will be able to preach. Now, the first sermon, maybe even the first half a dozen or a dozen that he preaches, he's going to be in the preliminary learning stage and he's going to learning how to submit to the Spirit of God, learning what to say and all of that, and he will learn how to operate his gifts. So we don't judge him when they stand up and preach two or three sermons and say, he ain't called to preach. My goodness, how can he preach? Well, let's give him a little time. And it's the same with every other gift that God gives. What is a gift in a person's life? The gift is you getting yourself out of the way. Then God anoints that part of himself, what he put inside of you, and then he uses himself. Praise the Lord. And then he uses himself inside of you and the anointing comes on you and you sing, you testify or whatever it is God's called you to do, lead singing or being a Sunday school teacher and the spirit of God uses you for that purpose. It ministers to the body. 
Now, God places a diversity of gifts in every body, every local assembly. He also does the same thing in every move that has been down through the ages. Turn me to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Now, what's the great master builder as he goes to laying out some of these principles in the New Testament? For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now notice that a man should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now watch, Paul is going to deal with the gifts, and he's already dealt with this, but at the same time, if you wish to read Romans 10, Romans 11, leaving up to this. But he said, now whenever you go to looking at what God has done in your life, and how God has called you, and how God has gifted you. Now he's given us all a warning. He said, don't start looking at yourself and start measuring yourself by your own view or by your own opinion of what you think. Well, I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm that, and I'm that. But he said, now, according to the grace of God, which has been given to me, he said, I say this to you that a man should not think of himself more high than what God has placed him positionally. Notice what he said now, but to think soberly. Now this don't mean that you're supposed to stop drinking because these are folks that's got the Holy Ghost. So that was gone a long time ago. But you realize that some people, though they don't drink, they're not sober in the way they look at themselves, And they can look at themselves wrong in two ways. And they can look at that, and when they do, they can be wrong on both accounts. Now, whenever you look at yourself soberly in a line with what God's given you, and what God's given you testifies of itself, because every gift makes room for itself. Then there's also then where you can go to one extreme on the other side, to where that you look at yourself and you measure yourself as being greater than actually you are. So in your mind, in your thinking, you've got this gift and that gift and that gift and that gift and that gift and and nobody recognizes it but you, you think. So you're never used right, you're never appreciated enough, you're never made over enough and then what happens is most of the time those type of people, unless they get delivered from it, they will start expanding in order to use what they think they have. Now, if they do have an influence, if they're a singer or don't have to even be a preacher, but if they are a person of influence in a body or in a family, then they will start handing out this stuff. You know, well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm the other. And they will begin to intoxicate other people on their own thinking of what they are. Now, what's this word soberly? It means be sober-minded, to exercise self-control to put a moderate estimate upon one's self. Think of one's self soberly to curb one's passion. So now we're not talking about people getting drunk. We're not talking about people going out lusting for women, lusting for men, but we're talking about people looking at themselves and having a moderate evaluation of what they are in Christ and what they think their gifts are. And then also of them controlling their passion. I also said this is not a lust for marijuana. It's not lust for somebody else's wife, but it still is a passion. It is a lust for Position. 
It is a lust for a position that many times people aren't called to handle. Well, y'all going to get quiet on my sister and look at me or what? Now, whenever to be puffed up in one's own conceits is the end of spiritual progress. To be puffed up in one's own conceits is the end of spiritual progress in Christ. Because you say, why would you say that? Well, because it's the very thing that got the devil kicked out of heaven. He was formerly Lucifer, which was God's right-hand man to fellowship. He was the one who stopped the approach to God and all that. And yet whenever he began to think of himself in a position that he was not made for, he began to think of himself as what? He wanted to be like God. Yea, thou hast said in thy heart, I will be like the most high. So he began to think of himself beyond his God-given, God-created ability. So can you imagine this being that we know as the devil today? At one time was God's right-hand man to fellowship. So in the heavens, he was the great cherubim that covered. He was the stopper of the approach. So if any other angels come to approach Elohim, uh, Lucifer stopped them. So he had a great position. He was the greatest person in heaven next to God. But that was not enough for him. He did not want to be the greatest person next to God. He wanted to be above God. Now you see, whenever people then get saved, if people cannot, Satan cannot stop them from getting saved, he will try to push them to the other side and make them to where they're constantly going over what God called them to be and they're in and out of trouble. Many people, it just breaks your heart as a pastor whenever you see people that are in and out of spiritual trouble years of their life. And much of it has to do with this very simple principle that they think they are more than what they really are. If they were, then they should be able to handle whatever it is they get into and I shouldn't have to come along behind them or any other man of God and straighten out the mess they made. But it's like some people can never see it about themselves. It's always everybody else is out to get them. Brother Donnie don't like me. Brother Donnie is jealous of me. Let me tell you that. Just settle one thing for everybody here and every other person around the world. There is not one mortal that lives on the earth that I am jealous of. I don't want their gifts. I don't want their church. I don't want their wife. I don't want their kids. And I sure don't want their cat. Okay, I don't want nothing. I am jealous of no man. I've got enough to answer to God for without jealousy. I don't want this man's pulpit. I don't want this man's sheep. I don't want this man's money, this man's reputation, this man's gift. I just want to be faithful in the little bit that God has given me. And I have great contentment and peace in being there because this master builder wrote it in the New Testament, godliness with contentment is great gain. I'll never be like Brother Ron. I'm not gifted the way Brother Ron is. I'll never preach like Brother Tim. My many, many brothers around the message, I just think, my goodness, I wish I could preach like that. I wish I could be like that, but I might as well quit wishing because I'm done too old to start over now, so I'm just stuck with who I am. And you all might as well do the same thing. Well, I wish I could be like so-and-so. Quit wasting years of your life wishing you were like others. Just be what God's made you to be. 
find that slot and then minister to the body. Oh my. Notice then, you know, Paul goes on to say in verse four, so as we have many members in one body, now watch, he runs a parallel between the human body, and he said, all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So God calls some people to preach and oh my, they can just hold us spellbound by the types and the shadows and the stories and whatever. Others are much more simple preachers and they're not great, great dynamic preachers but maybe God will use them in healing. God will use them in signs and wonders. But you know the thing is that each of us find our spot and we allow each other to be what God gifted us and then we don't have to sit around and judge. Well, I'll tell you one thing, I don't like him because he don't preach like brother so-and-so. Well, he may not. But remember, God is the one who made these gifts and apparently God didn't want everybody preaching like brother Branham or every preacher would have preached just like brother Branham. Apparently, God didn't want everybody preaching like Brother Darrell or like Brother Tim or like Brother Timothy or Brother Wayne Lawson or some of these other great brothers we could mention. If he did, he'd make every one of them just a clone. So God would make the perfect preacher and then everybody else would pack their iPad exactly the same way. They would have stuttered and stuttered and da, 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 you know, and they'd hold their finger that certain, certain way and they'd have that little certain kick. Every preacher would be exactly the same. You'd never need an evangelist because all the evangelists would preach the same way. And you'd never need a special speaker because the special speaker would preach like your special pastor. And then the special pastor would preach like the special speaker and there'd be no diversity at all. And before long, we'd sit around more bored than what you are already tonight. So what did God do? God diversified the body. And he made some that will dramatize when they preach. He made some that'll preach real fiery. And he made others that are more scholarly. Now I know sometimes we don't like the scholarly, but remember that's the attribute or the adjective that God used, the prophet used rather, to describe Paul. He said that Peter was like a firebrand, Andrew a prayer warrior. And he said Paul was the more scholarly type. So let's not be against those men that may not run around the pulpit and jump up and down and all that. Maybe God's called them to be exactly that way. But they have an ability and input on the word that say the firebrand don't have. Man, it's hard to tame down a firebrand. You imagine a firebrand preacher wanting Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew words. He don't want none of that stuff. He don't want them quotes up there for you to read them. He blazes in here and preaches like a bolt of lightning, blazes back out, and he's gone somewhere else. But how many knows we needed evangelists like that? Sure we did. Now watch, Paul said, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another or of another. That is so we are so fitted to be mutually dependent on each other. This is why Satan wants to divide us. I hate to say it, but he's had a great success since the church started 2,000 years ago and being able to divide people. It didn't take long at all, just some 30 years after the church was founded in the book of Acts. Then when we come to the book of Jude, and Jude was writing to the saints and telling them to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So Jude was written in 66 AD. So the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost about 33 and a half, uh, somewhere almost 33 and 34. So about 33 years after the Holy Ghost had just fell and they had already started getting away from the original faith. Well, what happened? 
they had people coming in that apparently were selling them. We know the Nicolaitan spirit, the prophet said, wasn't just the preachers, but it was the people that no longer wanted the shouting, the speaking in tongues, the worship and the praising God. Is that what he said? So they began to settle for something much less. And there was another church that was in the making. And it was a carnal bunch that did not have the same experience. But now watch what he said, that God places us in the body. Then there's usefulness out of each member. Now remember, God does not ask you what you want to be. God did not say, all right, now, everybody that wants to sing, raise your hand. All right, all right, singers, 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 singers. Who wants to be bass? Who wants to be baritone? Who wants to be tenor? Who wants to be second tenor? Who wants to play the violin? Who wants to play the trombone? Who wants to play the drums? Who don't want to play nothing? Most of you. <laughs> well, God don't do it that way. Isn't it amazing that gifts and talents will even run in certain families? And there's some families, they didn't seem like they got nothing. I mean, they can't even carry a straight tune packing a radio around. But they love to sing. I mean, it, they love to sing, but they can't carry a tune. So you know what? They can still obey the scripture because they're making a joyful noise. They're making a joyful noise. It might not be on pitch, but they're making a noise. And buddy, they're happy that they can make it. So praise the Lord. Well, let them sing. Now, they may not be a song leader. leader. They might not be a song leader to get up in front of everybody, but we'll try our best to let them sing and we'll put them so far back and we'll cover them up in foam rubber if we have to, but let them sing with all their hearts because they've got a song inside of there and they want to belt her out. Well, praise the Lord. Why, Brother Donnie, they're not on pitch or not in harmony. Well, let's just let a little bit of harmony go because it's such a blessing to them to do it. So let them sing apparently. Everybody in there is off key except for them. Well, at least that's the way they think about it. Now watch in Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according, oh my goodness, to the grace that is given us. I thought we finished up grace once we got saved. Do you realize gifts come by the administration of grace? Now, what is grace? Divine favor. That parisis, that which you're not worthy of, but something given to you. When we were lost, God gave us grace. So what are gifts? They are another allocations of the same grace that saves you. So then tell me, if God gifted me in a certain way, Brother Dow in another way, Brother Harvey in another way, you other saints, all different saints around the world, then what do I have to be arrogant about? Since grace gave me the gifts I have. Grace gave you, Brother Rob, the ability, the gifts, Brother Jim, Brother Harry, and my goodness, we have some great talent here in our church, don't we? Some great singers, great musicians, and I, I, we so appreciate it with all of our heart. But none of them, brother, nor them sisters have a right to stand up and say, do you all know how blessed you are to have me here? Do you all know how blessed you are that I'm here to play for you all? Don't you all just want to give me a standing ovation and just say how wonderful I am? And do you all know how wonderful I am? I am, I am, I am. We're not interested in you, I am. We're interested in he am. That's the great I am. It's not you. But people act like that their gifts are something they did. Or something that, well, my great desire, God saw my passion. God saw, no, no. What was it, your passion, the reason God saved you? 
He saves you because you ask him for grace. And grace does not stop once we get saved. Grace keeps going until the last phase of grace you'll ever need is rapturing grace to change your body. So it is the dispensation of grace. Notice what he said now. Having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Now notice then, so even these gifts are not determined by our ambition, our personal desire. Well, this is what I want to achieve. No, even your gift will work and correlate according to the proportion of faith that God gives you to operate that gift. Now, don't look, you know, don't, don't look at your, well, I, I, I'm a businessman and I, I've done this and I've done that and I've done that and I've been able to accomplish this and that and the other and because I've accomplished that, now that I'm serving God, I will do the same thing with the economy of God. That's contrary to God's word. You'll never find Paul ever saying, use your business this. Use your, you know, your resume out there in the world and then we'll compare it with God and God will reward you according to the amount of success you've had in the workplace. Well, if that's so, a lot of the greatest preachers that ever lived would never have had nothing. Well, the prophet tells us that Noah was a farmer and he was a man that had little to no ambition. So he wasn't a great success. Now, how many of you would want to climb on a boat built by a farmer who'd never built one before? Now, Pastor Noah, could you show us your resume? I want to know what school that you come from to be able to design this boat. Now, was this drawn on CAD? Uh, did, did, Did Johnson City approve of your boat? I can tell you right now, Johnson City would not have approved of Noah's boat. We just got through dealing with them so we know how they can be. Noah would still be building on that boat, waiting on Johnson City's CO before Noah could move in. Amen. Oh, look at Moses. Could he have used his record? And God said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll call you and I'll reward you according to your great success. You murdered an Egyptian, you run like a coward. Uh-oh. So people who look at their success in the natural world and then they feel you know, called to do something in the gospel and they think, well, God will let me do the same thing. Two different things completely. Our allocation of sex is company together by the dispensation of grace also measured with a proportion of faith. Let me read it again. How many loves the word? Amen. Having then gifts differing according gifts differing according to the grace. So you mean this pleases God? That gifts would differ according to grace. Why do we despise them then? Why do we despise them? Why do we look down on others that maybe are less than us? Why we ought to thank God? Notice this, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Isn't this amazing now? But you know, me coming from a Pentecostal background, of course, I read the Bible whenever I was a Pentecostal preacher, but I didn't understand this a bit more than nothing. So to look at it according to that, Brother Dow, I can never make no sense out of the scripture in Romans 12, yet I read the book of Romans time and time and time again whenever I was a Pentecostal preacher because I never read no other books other than the Bible. 
So I read the Bible, I quoted the Bible, and I preached the Bible. But I preached it blindly because I was not embracing the light of the end time. But once I did, you see, to me, the message of the hour did not come to replace the Bible, but it come to open the light on the Bible, and the Bible became a brand new book to me. The Bible did not become a book that I just wanted to do away with. Well, I don't need the Bible no more. I love my Bible now more than I've ever loved it. Well, praise the Lord. And if you don't, you better get to praying. Now notice then the gifts of God are given by grace and then God will use the gift according to the proportion of faith. So say a person then can be called by God to prophesy. And maybe there's, we know that there's a couple of ways by which this comes. And it's a shame really that most people want only the vocal gifts, which is tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. That's the three vocal gifts of the gifts that Paul talks about in Corinthians. Seems nobody wants a gift of wisdom and many of those others, but everybody wants the gifts that are vocal. Why? Well, so everybody will hear them, I suppose. But a person then that God might use, and it might be just with a, with a, a maybe in a prayer service, and they're, they're praying, and the Spirit of God would move upon them, and they would prophesy, thus saith the Lord, don't go out tomorrow to certain, certain place. Brother Ben Davis, don't go at your place of work because there will be an explosion in your main building tomorrow. Thus saith the Lord, don't go there. Well, if it was the word of the Lord, that will happen exactly. And if Brother Ben believes that, Brother Ben will stay away from there till after the explosion takes place and then go make an insurance claim. (laughs) That's right, if you believe it's the word of the Lord. But if then that same person say we have our dedication service and we have a thousand people sitting in this building and the Spirit of God move on them and say, oh, Jesus, oh, no, 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 Lord. No, no, I just don't think I could do it, Jesus. I don't think, why, why? The proportion of faith for their gift is not given for them to be able to stand before such a group of people. You think prophets wanted to say what they said? How could they do that? How could they walk up before kings, potentates, rulers, and tell them, thus saith the Lord, it ain't raining again till I call for it. God gave them the proportion of faith to match their gift. So you see, if Satan can't stop us from being gifted, he'll try to mess up our perception of the proportion of faith. It's the same way with preaching, same way with prophesying, same way with singing. Now you know it is, some of you that sing, my, I can imagine some of you that got up here the first time to sing, and some of you haven't got up here yet because you're still nervous and you're trying to work up, you know, oh, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I think I can, I think I can. And you're still trying to psych yourself up because you say, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do it or not. I don't know if I can or not. Well, can you imagine then a person who sings in a church that's about 25 or 30 people and they'd walk up here, oh my goodness, they're froze. They're just froze, they can't even do it. Why? Because they're so used to standing before a certain size and the portion of faith has not been released to them to help them do it. But I'm glad there's song leaders that can sing to a congregation of more than 30. I'm glad we've got preachers that aren't too nervous to preach to a congregation of more than 40 or 50. And I've told different brothers, look, I'd like for you to come and preach. Oh, no, Brother Don, I couldn't come to that big place. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I'd be so, I'd be so scared. I'd be so nervous. And you know what? If they feel that way and they don't feel a release to do that, I wouldn't want them to do it because they're gonna be miserable and we probably will wind up being miserable with them. 
But if they feel the release in their heart and God drops that there for them, they say, yes, praise God, I believe I can do it. Then they have got the proportion of faith that matches their gift. Do you understand that, sir? So you see, God not only gives us, but God gives us an allocation of faith. How could Daniel be able to face the lion's den? How could David be able to face the Goliath? Because he walked right into the anointing of that hour. It's the same way with us in this end time. Now, let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now, this is the body that Zechariah prophesied the Lord Jesus would make. Nothing at all like the temple. Nothing at all like Herod's temple. Nothing like the temple of Zerubbabel. Nothing at all because it's going to be people all over the earth born of the same spirit of God. And that temple was in one location and one location only. So God wanted to make a body where people would be so filled with his spirit. Each one of them would be so diverse in what they would do and how they would function. Notice in verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentile. Boy, can you imagine some of them Jewish brothers, Brother Jack, whenever they read this and they said, Lord, have mercy. You mean Paul put them bunch of Gentiles right in with us? Why, there ain't no way they're standing there like we are. You see, they totally missed what the mystical body did. It put Jew and Gentile, black, white, red, yellow. There's no difference between us. Can you imagine whenever the Jews begin to really grab that revelation and they come up to a Gentile the first time and it might have been in Ephesus, it might have been Smyrna, who knows where it was, and they had their first experience in going to a true apostolic church and they come and there was Gentiles, there were slaves, there was people of all colors, there was people of all cultural backgrounds and ethnicity, and here come some of these Jews which would never even touch a Gentile. For them to touch a Gentile, they were unclean for hours. For them to even get around you and for them to realize what God had done, it must have been a powerful revelation. For them to be able to look over and then grab a hold of the Gentile brother's hand And first of all, they felt kind of funny about it. Oh, Lord, would I become unclean? Is this right for me to do that? And they'd shake their hand. And all of a sudden, they felt that unity between a Jew and a Gentile. The Torah could not produce that. Moses could not produce that. The law could not produce that. But the man whose name is the branch could. Oh, praise the Lord. You understand why the grace of God then helps us to cross all types of racial barriers. People that have racial problems, I'm convinced, need the Holy Ghost. A white man that cannot hug a black man's neck needs the Holy Ghost and vice versa. A black woman that can't hug a white sister or vice versa, there's something wrong with you, sis. Well, come on, preach, Brother Donnie, because you realize you're baptized by the Holy Ghost into the same body, and there's only one superior race, and that is the new race, and in the new race are black, white, red, yellow. They are of all types of cultural background. They're all type of ethnicity, but there's one thing they have in common, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. 
So in there, all their differences become as nothing. Mm. Notice in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. Verse 18, but now hath God, listen to this construction terms now. Now hath God set the members. Who set them? Who? Talk to me. God. So you didn't get to choose. I didn't get to choose. Mama didn't get to choose for you. God set the members, listen now, every one of them in the body as it pleased the members. You see what we're doing, friends, whenever we kick against what God has given us? We're kicking against God's own pleasure. Now, I hope you understand, generally, depending on which side you are, I've never been a type of person that wanted to be nothing, okay? I could sit down right here tonight. I've been thinking, as hard as I've been working the last couple of years, about taking a sabbatical. Maybe about, I'm thinking seven, eight years, I might get caught up resting. I thought we'd have a vote on it tonight. Me and Carol's the only ones voting. Y'all's vote don't even count tonight. So I'm the type of person that I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be up in front of people. I know it sounds crazy to you. I don't like my picture taken. I don't like to be on video. I don't like to be in front of a big crowd. Some of you have told me, Brother Donnie, I like a small church. Any of you that's told me that, know me, I'll tell you back. So do I. And what am I supposed to do, run everybody else off except me and you? Now, you see, God does not set us in the way that pleases us. He doesn't even ask us, are you okay with this arrangement? Are you fine with this, Brother Dow? Are you okay with that? Are you fine, my, my, my children? Are you all okay with it? I thought I'd run it by you before I did it. He didn't even ask us. Is that right? So he just does it, and then he gifts us and calls us and places it where and according to what purpose and design as it pleases him. So if every one of us could find that, for those of us who would want to be more than what we're called to be, and for those of us, and I'll say I'm guilty, who would love, absolutely love to be less. Y'all ever notice me when I'm out in meetings and I'm not preaching? You notice where I sit? That beautiful woman right there. My wife. Preacher said, but I come up on the pulpit and I'll tell him, I don't like to be on the camera. You say, that's crazy. I know, and that's why you belong to this church. You're as crazy as I am. <laughs> I don't like to be, just to call me up to sing. I go all to pieces, worse than preaching. Just to call me up to pray over the prayer request. I'd rather just be the guy behind the scenes, just out of the way. I, 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 I don't like any of that. And yet God called me to preach. You think he ain't got a sense of humor? My favorite clothes is a pair of jeans on and a Henley shirt or a t-shirt, something like that. I hate a suit. I hate dressing up. I hate wearing a three-piece, a two-piece. I hate it. I hate neckties. Okay, what? 
you know what? God didn't ask me. But I'm not going to step out here like one of them modern preachers with my shirt tail all stuck out and have on a pair of ball shoes and look like a beatnik. This comes with my position and this is the way I'm going to dress. It ain't because I like it, it's because it requires it. But I want to please him. How many wants to please him? Even if he makes you do something you don't want to do. If he makes you less than what you think you are. Are you okay with that? If he makes you more than what you think you are, are you okay with that? Oh, some of you didn't say amen on that part. (laughs) You see, according to his pleasure, it makes it fit in the economy of God. Wow. But you know what Satan loves to do? He loves to get in now and manipulate that and confuse people on the way they look at it all. Now, some preachers, they're only ever now and then speakers. Right. To preach a convention, to preach four or five times a week, they couldn't do it to save their life. Right. Their capacity just isn't there. Does that mean they're not called of God? It does not. Amen. It means they've not grown into it yet, or they may never be convincing preachers. But I dare say shame on any of us that would look down on them because they're not. They're just as important in the economy of God as the best convention preacher that ever preached. You see, it's not our say. It's not our position to say who can or cannot. Notice this in 1 Corinthians 12, 19, and we'll close. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, but yet one body. Now, there was a problem, we know, in the church at Corinth. And the Spirit of God took this opportunity with the issues that were in the churches. I'd like to take each one of those churches sometime and and bring it out to you. But in the Corinthian church, there was lots of issues. There was adulteries, there was fornications, there was gift problems, There was all types of problems. But when we look at the church at Corinth from the time the first book of Corinthians was written, time the second one was written, which is about five years later, we can see a lot of maturity and a lot of growth in that church. I love seeing that myself. I love comparing the first Corinthians to the second because you can see even with the brother that was called uh, living with his stepmother. And we can see how that that brother got corrected by the Spirit of God. And see how that Paul dealt with him and how the man had got changed and <clears throat> straightened out that issue in his life. And we can see by the time it come to 2 Corinthians, the gift problem, many of those problems had subsided because they had grown and matured. But they were trying, apparently, they had an idea before them and they wanted everybody to be one particular member. So they wanted everybody to be a hand. I love my hand. Well, sort of. What would I do without them? But I also appreciate my heart. I appreciate my lungs, my liver, my kidneys. I ain't never seen them, but I've told I've got one. Now, I've seen x-rays and stuff. How many's ever seen your kidney? Oh, you believe you've got one? How many's seen your lungs? What about your brain? Now, there we might all say, I'm not sure if I have one or not. 
those things which are unseen, are they important? How does my hands just go up? What was it that signaled my hands to go up? Oh, your hands wanted to. No, my hands do not have the intelligence to raise on their own. But God so designed my body and tied every bit of my spinal cord and all my nerves up to the command center, which is in my brain, and there it sits. And most of us only use a very, very small portion of it. But from there, it controls all these movements, all these different things. How grateful I am. Oh, no wonder David said we are so fearfully and wonderfully made that we can lay down. And I think of it how much God committed in your body to that which even the subconscious would control. Think of it, if God had not put the controls of your body, your respiration, your blood pressure, your heartbeat, all those things to when you would go to sleep, if God had placed all that in the element of the first conscience, if you ever went to sleep, you'd die of a heart attack. But what did God do? God committed many of those things even to the realm of the subconscious and you can go into a deep sleep. Your respiration will slow down and you enter the fourth cycle course of the brain waves and that's when you're resting the most deep and yet you're not even conscious that you're breathing but you are in and out, in and out. Your heart's beating back and forth. Is that right? Why? It's that inside of you that we take for granted every time we lay down. Y'all ever thank God for that? I was thinking about it the other day. I know you think I'm weird but I was thinking about the other day and I got to thinking about my heart and I just got to thinking you know as loud as that heart is wouldn't it have been annoying if God would have made that thing loud I mean every time it's such a boom 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 I thought who but God who but God could put his pumping valve inside of our bodies and yet bury it not really that deep it's not really that far in but insulated so much that a doctor would have to lay his head over on your chest or get a stethoscope to be able to hear it and yet it's there bumping all the time pumping, pumping, pumping and God knew exactly the element of decibel level to be able to set that heart. I thought how an amazing thing and how in the world could that have happened by me coming out of a green pond scum and evolving out of that into this. No sir, it was my father that did such a thing. And if he'd done that to the natural body, how much more has he done to the spiritual body? And the church said, and I said, let's stand. Look at verse 24. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which is lack. So God assigns Christians to their talents and opportunities and even allocates their measure of influence in that position. Now you realize, maybe some of you Look at some of these musicians and singers and song leaders and whatever and say, oh my goodness, I wish I could do that. But I hope you also understand that when the more God gifts you, it's like the bigger the target is on your back. And Satan is out to get you. Because your gift blesses so many people and helps so many people. And when Satan sees it, it's like it goes from here of being just a lay member that loves God, goes to church, does everything you can do, and God gives you more and more and more and more, and the bigger the target is on your back. Why? You're a blessing to others. You're a help to others. That's why you should pray for the preachers. 
Pray for the deacons, the trustees, Sunday school teachers. Praise the Lord. Don't just pray for the preachers of our church. We should be praying for the ministry around the world. Do you realize Satan hates them more than ever before? And he's out after them. Why? Because they are such a blessing to God's people. And they're such a help. And God allocates to them a a measure of influence. You think it don't scare me when I stand up here or down at Brother Jason's or the youth camp in Louisiana or the youth camp in South Carolina, Lord willing, this year and the different places around the world that I'm scheduled to be? You think it don't scare me to death to think of the influence that God's given me around the world for decades? And you wonder why I wish I was less? If I had to answer for this congregation size alone, it'd be something. What's one soul worth? But the influence that God's given us around the world, Lord, help us. Help us. It makes you fearful because you realize Satan is after you. And if he can't get you with women, can't get you with money, can't get you with popularity, he'll try to wear you out. Try to make you so exhausted. It wasn't women that nearly got Brother Branham. It was not money. It was not popularity. What was it? Burnout. Just burnout. He went and went and gave and gave till he just felt like he couldn't give no more. Imagine coming to himself on his way back from Arkansas. His truck run off the road and he had his hands laid on a cow's head. Praying for that cow. Thought it was a woman in the prayer line. Had to come off the field, Brother Donnie, for about a year. And he said, does God do that to a man? Man does that to himself. But he loved the people so much. And he felt for the people so much. Satan couldn't stop him with the women. So what did he do? Just kept pulling him, taxing him, taking out more, 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 more. And then he had to come off the field for a year to recuperate. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. How many loves him with all your heart? You want to be what God's called you to be? Brother Donnie, I don't need the people of the church. Now, right there, you just told a bald-faced lie. If God sets you here at our assembly, I don't care where else you'll go. You'll never be happy if this is where you're supposed to be. And if you ain't supposed to be here, you'll never be happy staying here. You need to find wherever it is God wants you. Right? But when we do, then we do everything we can to work together with that body to make it what God wants it to be. Not Donnie Reagan's church, this, that, the other, the body of Christ. I mean, let to be remembered tonight as we pray. God bless you. Let's just bow our heads together. Oh, Heavenly Father, it's a fearful thing to be gifted by you. It's a fearful thing to be entrusted by you with influence upon people. How many times have I sat in my study and tried to talk to people and as I begin to talk to them about this or that or the other, whatever it is, and I realize as I move into that channel of the Spirit of God and I realize that I've entered into a sacred yet dangerous place because they have opened their life to me as a pastor. 
While I have them there for five minutes, 10 or 15 or 30, I can be able to input things that will change their life. Lord God, help me that it'll always be for the good. Help every minister here, Father, that we will never have our own agenda. That will never be competition. Oh Lord, but it'll be for one purpose. That is the economy of God. We don't want this church to be necessarily my church. We don't want it to be built in honor of this man or that man, but in the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. People being saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, healed, not to the credit of the pastor, but to the credit of the Lord Jesus. Father, may each member realize tonight Each one of us have been given something to do. And if we fail our post, it's not just a simple, well, I don't like the new building. I'm leaving and going somewhere else. You never even ask us that. You never ask us if we wanted to go to this church or that church or another church. I pray it help people to see what a dangerous thing it is when they just decide they're going to do this and that and the other. Help us to realize we are a body, Father. And we need one another to function properly. Help us, Lord Jesus. How many of you saints here tonight say, Lord, remember me? Just raise your hand to him. Men, women, boys, girls. Or you say, I've never been given that much. I doubt that. If you're in the body, God has given you something. Sisters, you may say, well, I don't ever preach. I can't sing. No, you may not, but it may be your life. It may be your dress. It may be your influence, the way you live around others, and what an influence that can be. But God has given to each of us something, gifts by grace that we can help others. Oh, Father. Would you mind laying your hand over all the person standing by you? Let's just offer a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we have our hands one upon the other tonight, Lord, we're just praying that you'd help us. Men, women, young people, dear God, in the name of Jesus, may we find our place. For many of them, they have. But yet, Lord, we know that you change us from time to time, and we move up. I personally think this that we have built here is a change. I believe with all of my heart. Oh, I know some of them didn't want it. Some of them didn't like it. Some of them got mad at me because of it. But they'll look back and realize it was the Lord. I'll give them mercy. We believe, Father, that our life has placed you on the earth to serve you. I'm not here to please myself. I'm not here to please these people. I'm here to please you. And if I please you, I will please those among these people who also please you. So if we please you, we will please you together. And that's what we desire, Father. Lord, we're not looking for a great number. We're not looking for a big following. We're just looking for everyone that you've ordained to fellowship here with us. How many ever that is? We want to help 
We want to reach out. Many of them think, what could I do? I'm only a woman. Well, maybe they could go visit some of these widows. Go to a nursing home. Go to a shut-in of some of our sisters. Just let them know they love them. Some of our young men want to know what they can do. Oh, they want to grab an iPad and jump in the pulpit. But you never sent them out like that. But you told them to begin at Jerusalem. Start right there at home. Start where they wasn't respected. I've seen it many times in some of the young preachers. They want to preach to the Sunday crowd, and I'll ask them to preach to the young people, and they don't want to. That tells me right there there's something wrong with their call. A man that's really called of God will preach to one if he has to. He'll start at the very bottom. Oh, it's much easier to want a man's position who's been laboring for decades and step there in a position that's been built through all the hardships and the trials. But Lord God, if you want me to preach to one, I'll preach to one. Lord God, if you've got anything you want me to do, Jesus, I don't care if it's little or small. I don't care if it's redundant. I don't care, Lord, if people never even know nothing about it. I'll go, Jesus. I've tried to stay away from some of the countries around the world where a lot of the preachers go. And the brothers wonder why I won't come. And I've told them, look, y'all have visitors from everywhere. I'd rather go to those places that a lot of people don't go, where nobody goes and visits them. Oh, Jesus, there's a work for us all. Help us, Father. Help us to find our place. May grace minister to us the portion of faith. Granted, I pray, Lord God, we love you tonight, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the one who hands out these gifts? And whether or not you understand this, whenever you are born into this world, you have every gift in you that you will ever use for the kingdom of God. They're in you then. They may come to different years and they'll finally manifest themselves. But everything you'll ever need is in you. So when you see people trying to be beyond their God-given ability, you know right there something is wrong. Do they love the Lord? Sure, they may love the Lord, but they're confused. They simply don't understand. A man who feels he's called to preach and never can preach years after years after years, he never can preach, there's something wrong somewhere. If God calls a man to preach, he gives him the ability to stand up and preach. That's just the way God works. Oh my. No wonder the prophet said it. This is not word by word, but he said, How much time would save ourselves in God if we'd go to Him who brought us on the earth and say, Lord, what am I here for? Help me to find. What am I here for? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What about it, young people? You young men? You know what you're here for? You young sisters, you know what you're here for? Your brothers in your 30s, 40s? What about it, brothers, sisters? We know what we're here for. Let's find it. Let's be faithful. Or some of you older people think, Brother Donnie, I'm in my 70s now, and I can't do no more. I can't. No, no. What you've done is simply changed a dispensation. Now you've moved into this realm of being an elder among us. So be faithful. Be there. 
for these young people to say, there's a brother, there's a sister that's like a rock. Look at them. They've stood true, they've stood faithful. Oh, but I don't say that much. You don't have to. Your age, your faithfulness, your faithfulness to Christ, your faithfulness to the church, to the word, and you're not really even saying anything, but just being there and going right on to the end. You know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all of them became that in their life. They were still alive when the light had changed to their sons and their grandsons. Abraham was still alive by the time the glory of God had moved two dispensations. Abraham was still alive. And not one more word is mentioned about him until he dies. So what was he doing, Brother J.D.? He was fulfilling the part of being stable, being an elder to the tribe. No doubt they'd come and talk to him and they'd say, oh my, look at him. That old patriarch and he'd sit there and shake with his hands, but he was a patriarch right down to the very end. There's something for all of us. Don't think, well, I'm too old. No, you're not too old. Some of you brothers just say, Brother Donnie, I, I don't know if I'll be any good or not coming to the men's breakfast. Come on, brothers, we'll push you in in a wheelchair. Ain't that right, brothers? Yeah. Oh, Brother Donnie, I don't want to get on the ball court. Me either, pal, but I'm still going to eat breakfast. <laughs> that ball court ain't for me, and soccer ain't for me, and all that other stuff ain't for me, but the fellowship is for me, and the good food. I have to admit, I like the food too. So he's oh, I'm too old. I, I can't do this. I can't do that. No, you need to go to him and say, Lord, now what am I supposed to do? Now what am I supposed to do? He'll have something for you. Oh, don't you love him? Brother Manuel, we need you, buddy. Ain't that right? Some of you older brothers, she said, oh, I can't do that. I said, no, don't you tell me that. I'll still need you around here. I need them gray hairs, Brother Jack. I need that sort of thing, because one day that'll be me sitting back there if the Lord tarries. There's something for all of us to do. How many wants to do it for the grace of God? Let me read you this last scripture. Notice how Paul ends it with this that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care. And schism is division or rent, something rent, tore from the body, a division, a dissension. What causes this when people get out of their place? And someone thinks they're called to do this or that or the other, and they're not. So what do they cause? A dissension, a rent, a tear in the body. You don't have to be a preacher either. There's many, many an old gray-haired grandma that's caused all kinds of problems in churches. It ain't just preachers. Satan wants to get every one of us for such a target. But I don't know about you, I refuse to be his target. It's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Oh, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Sing it out. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord.
Hallelujah, I can be. 